Hey, I like your haircut. Thank you. Looks good. Thanks. Short it's... and sassy. I like mm -hmm. it. Welcome to Middle-ish, the podcast about moderation in all things. I am Erin Green. And I am Michael Gray. Hello. 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 It feels like it's been a hello, long time hello, since hello. we've done this. Because it has. I don't know. Maybe has it? I a few don't weeks. I'm just going by feeling, not facts. Come on. Time, <laughs> time flies, especially during the summer months. Summer, I can't believe. Gosh. Yeah, it's yeah. August and here we are. And we're looking at schools starting up here in a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, like right around the corner. It's wild. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but here we go. Um, which which brings us to our topic of the day. We the might queen as well of the segue. introduce. I know. <laughs> we might as well just introduce our guest, mm -hmm. so she's not just sitting in the background waiting, um, waiting to jump in. So Brenda Waddles, Chef Brenda Waddles, um, also a registered dietitian. I mean. I could go on and on about your credentials, but most of all, I think you're just an amazing um, resource of nutrition, food and nutrition information, and specifically when it comes to um, school nutrition and childhood yeah. nutrition, which we will be talking about today. So welcome, Chef Brenda. Yay, Thank welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be on this podcast. I've listened to your podcast. I travel a lot with my work. And it's so nice to have wonderful podcasts to listen to. I'm kind of a podcast junkie, but I admire both of you very much. So thank you so for so much for having me on today. Absolutely. Our pleasure. We're really excited to have you here. We've been talking about this conversation for a few months, I think, right? Well, it's like since, I don't know, May, yeah, April, yeah. when we first kind of, she was like, let me talk to my friend Brenda, because it just seems like there's the school lunches are such a touch point, like, right, for parents. I mean, just constantly. And there are, I think it's just, it's a loaded subject topic. And <laughs> I am very excited to have you just kind of um, help us understand uh, that whole process a whole lot better and um, how, you know, schools really maybe do kind of care about people's kids and their well being. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We, we really do. It, it is a complicated, yeah. a complicated subject, but it's, it's fun. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, can you give us just a little, I, I gave a little bit of your like credentials, but can you give us just a little background? So the audience gets to know you and kind of what led you into school nutrition? Absolutely. You know, when I first started working in dietetics and then went to culinary school, I always thought I wanted to work in prevention of disease when we are in school and doing our internship to be a dietitian you know, we spend a lot of time in the hospitals and we get to see the disease state of America and it's very eye-opening. And I always thought, you know, I think going into prevention would be awesome. And so I think the first place we go for prevention is diet and exercise, right? And I never thought about child nutrition really being that first gateway into helping the America's children, you know, be healthy and prevent disease until 2008, when I had, I had been working in Texas and I, um, that's where I went to culinary school and I was a private dietitian chef for an, a former executive, um, from the tech industry. And I wanted to move back home to be close to my mom and uh, my roommate from college. Um, she was working for the Idaho state department of education and she said, hey, I'm working on this project and I'm really struggling because we have the chef who is working with us on this on this project, but he doesn't understand. We can't have butter. We can't add sodium. And I've got to get these recipes done. Can you help me? Well, I already had a full time job, but I, Erin, you know me. I, I love to work. <laughs> you said <and> yes. <laughs> you were like, and sign me up. Sign me up. And so I started working on these recipes and started to see how complicated school nutrition is. And it was very, very eye-opening for me because like many other people, I had no idea, you know, what our kids, 
how difficult child nutrition is and how much energy the folks who work in our industry put into feeding our kids healthy food. And so I was thrilled to work on this project to develop recipes. This was in 2008, right before the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act was coming out. But at the time, Heidi Martin, who now works, um, she's the VP for Dairy West. She was working for the, she was my roommate and she foresaw a lot of these regulations that would be coming out and because they, they put them out for public comment. And so she was able to kind of sort through them and say, you know, I think this is coming down the line in 2010, let's make these recipes. And so I did that and it was so complicated. It, Mm. it was the biggest challenge I've ever had in my life. I couldn't believe the regulations. It it was, I, I'm not going to lie. I cried. It was so hard. (laughs) And, um, but I was determined to make this, this, these recipes successful and we did, and they got national attention because there was such a need for these scratch and speed scratch recipes. And that's really how I got into Mm. school nutrition. Um, And, you know, it's been really exciting ever since I've I've written a lot of standardized recipes across America. I've written cookbooks for schools and daycares across the country. Um, So that's really how I I got my start. Um, And I'm, I'm super excited to be here. I love it every day. I love it. Awesome. Wow. That's great. Can you, can you give us a little bit, just sort of like a day in the life? Like, what is it like when you show up kind of, what are you doing? What do you, you know, how does that look throughout the day? What are you doing for the next day? Just what is, what does your day look like making school lunches for hundreds and hundreds of people? (laughs) So I am a school nutrition consultant and I consult with schools to help them build their menus and standardize their recipes because the recipes are not developed. They're standardized. So they're very specific. And so what that means is that let's say we're going to make a tortilla soup. Mm -hmm. Then I figure out how much as purchased product. So how much raw chicken, or we don't use a lot of raw chicken in school nutrition, but let's just say we do because some do Um, raw chicken and carrots, onion, celery, maybe some frozen corn, beans. And so I figure out how much raw product or canned or frozen product we would need, how to cook that, how long to cook it at what temperature, and then how much yield we receive. So let's say we're making a recipe for 100 students and I want every student to get a half a cup of that soup. And I want, or excuse me, I want them to get a whole cup of that soup and I want a half of a cup cup of it to be vegetable. Then I figure out the math for that as purchased to edible portion. And so I spend a lot of time doing that. Um, I also spend time in schools doing um, some taste testing and marketing for schools. And during the summer, I spend a lot of time traveling around the U.S., educating, doing a lot of training for school nutrition professionals, how to utilize their knives, how to utilize a lot of the equipment Mm. that is available to help them cook healthier meals because they are cooking healthy meals, but healthier and getting them to feel comfortable. And a lot of them have a lot of restrictions that we don't even think about. I think in the general public that they're very limited on space. Their Mm -hmm. kitchens are extremely old. If we think about how old some of our schools are, they hardly have any countertops. They might Mm -hmm. have one little tiny oven. If it's even an oven, maybe it's a steamer oven. And um, so to, to be able to cook in with those limitations, it can, can be very challenging. And so we have a team of us who go in and, and do a lot of that education. That's wild. Um, I just have to say, I was watching Michael's face because yeah, I'm so like... glad you went into the description of what a standardized recipe is because yeah. everyone, I went through this training as a dietitian and I am just like, I want to break out into hives hearing Brenda talk about this because it is not my bag, but I understand what goes into it and how much math and attention to detail and like figuring out. a. And this is just one recipe. Like Brenda does this for literally hundreds of recipes and watching right. Michael's face as you were describing this. He's just like, Oh like, my God. Too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love to cook, but that's too much. <laughs> it's that's, very that's complicated. Yeah, it is. How much yes. you have to, how, yeah. And I, and I think that's probably maybe one of the biggest things that people don't understand or just don't even think about when talking about school lunches is how 
tightly regulated it is and how it's got to be exact and able to be duplicated, you know, a bunch of times and fit within certain, all kinds of, you know, vegetables and calories and I don't know, whatever, but it's very, I'm sure very tightly regulated, which is something, I mean, I never thought about it until we started, Aaron and I started talking about having you on, you know, I was like, what, what goes into a school lunch? And mm -hmm. the complication behind it is, yeah, beyond what I thought it would be. <laughs> You know, it, it really is complicated. And I don't yeah. think a lot of people understand the regulations that we are working with. Our meal pattern is food-based, but we do have nutrient-based standards. So we are required to serve a specific amount of what we call meat, meat alternate, um, whole grain grains. They have to be whole grain rich is what we call them. So they have to be at least 50% whole grain fruits, vegetables, and milk. And then we follow, um, calorie, calorie saturated fat and sodium restrictions. And we have some new, new guidelines that are going to be coming out soon. So we'll be watching um, sugar as well. So there it, it is heavy regulated. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is that school nutrition is under the USDA department of education, uh, the, the USDA, um, food and nutrition services. And so what that means is, is that we are a supportive system that supports America's farmers. And just like um, the military and prisons, schools are under, you know, the gap of not, not the gap, but they're under the support umbrella of the United States Department of Agriculture that we are required to utilize um, meals or food, I guess, not meals, but food from America's farmers. Mm, yeah. And so we have a buy American provision and we can buy food that's outside of the U S but it, there are strict regulations around that. So if we can't get enough bananas, the USDA U S does not grow enough bananas or mandarin oranges or things like that. Maybe mangoes, we can get some of them from the U S but there's no way that they could supply the number of meals that we're serving on a daily basis in the U S. And so our number one goal is utilizing American grown food and support and supporting and feeding America's children. Those are the, those are the two things that, that we are doing. And we, yeah. we keep that in the forefront in everything that we do. Yeah. It's remarkable too. Like I remember talking with you one time about the example of like commodity foods or, you know, foods that you might think if it's, you know, an ounce of, I think it was like ham or something we were talking about, like a commodity ham doesn't actually translate to an ounce of like protein or whatever. And so you have to like do the math there too, to utilize like some of these foods that we're getting from, you know, these sources that are prioritized and then translate that into like, how do we ensure that we're meeting all of these nutrition and food-based standards? It's, I mean, it's quite involved. And I, I think our audience could probably all agree that it's fantastic that we're focusing on like, how do we utilize food that's grown here and produced here in the U S which I yeah. hear is one of the biggest, you know, concerns that a lot of parents have is like, you know, we talk about this whole farm to table thing. Well, this is farm to table on like a huge scale. Absolutely. I can reassure you all of your listeners that your school nutrition program is the largest food service operation in your community, in your state, in the U S and we are feeding the most meals every single day. And so if you want to support America's farmers, having your, your kids eat school lunch is a great way to do that. Now I'm not going to brush over the idea that manufacturers haven't gotten creative in creating some processed foods. And that's what I think a lot of parents get discouraged about is that they're seeing a lot of processed foods on the menus and that we worked before COVID, we worked so hard to get as many scratch and speed scratch meals into schools. And we were headed in a really great direction. And, um, there's some districts out there that are doing amazing things. Um, Minneapolis, I think, is one of the top. And many, many schools. There's just there are a lot. Austin School District is doing really great things. Um, I mean, there there are a lot. I could just continue. Cincinnati, I could just continue naming off so many. LA, LA Unified. 
But um, there are some districts, especially the smaller ones that are really struggling, especially since COVID. So since COVID, our industry, just like many other industries, have lost a lot of folks who worked in school nutrition. So we're talking about a system that is extremely complicated to understand. So right now, getting them trained to understand how to create these meals is a top priority. And one of the things that they can do to ensure that they're feeding students meals that are meet the regulations is utilizing those processed foods. And that was really easy during COVID too, because we were, we were worried about safety, right? Mm, and, yeah. you know, please everyone give your school nutrition professionals a big thanks during COVID because when everybody else was home, they were out feeding our kids, our communities, everyone, Mm -hmm. and they worked really harder than they ever had. And, and, and they deserve that big thank you, but we do need to get back to more scratch and speed scratch cooking. And, and they know that and they want to, however, we're, we are struggling because of the regulations. And just like you said, Aaron, um, you know, our, the foods that we, that we are serving, they are formulated to meet our standards and, and, and they follow a lot of regulations. So, so like you were saying to serve a specific amount of meat, let's take ground beef, for example, for, if you're cooking ground beef for, um, with 15% fat, I think per ounce, you need one point, I think it's three, three ounces. Um, I could have that number wrong of raw to get one ounce of cooked. So we have to figure that out for everything. And just like sliced, sliced ham and Turkey, like you said, we have to figure out, okay, so we do have regulations around how much, how much and what ingredients they can put into our foods. So they can't put a lot of fillers in there because we are counting the amount of true meat and protein that, that is in there. So if you get like a sliced Turkey, I see a lot of turkey being flavored with some, a little bit of broth and maybe some rosemary and a couple other things. Um, so, so that, that way it, it preserves, but they have, we have to take into account that those things don't count as the ounce of, of actual meat. Right. And and then everything has to be whole grain. So, um, you know, I don't agree on some of the things that go on the menus, but something like a, you know, a pop tart, it, it has to be whole grain rich. So, so those items you can't find in the grocery store, which I think is another issue. We could spend a whole podcast on that, but, but it, it, it is, it's whole grain rich. So, so, and a lot of parents don't know that. Yeah. Um, one, I'm kind of thinking along the lines here. I do want to get back to the food service worker because we do have a specific question on that. Um, but I just, as we're kind of going down this road of, you know, translating the foods into like the nutrition regulation or translating the nutrition regulations into the foods that the kids are served. One of the things that I hear, um, kind of, I don't know, in the rafters that people are concerned about is they can count pizza sauce as a vegetable. Like, what is that? Is that true? And can you maybe explain like, why certain condiments or sauces or whatever can be counted as a vegetable serving? A tomato yes. sauce count as a vegetable? That's just... I know it's so what weird. What are we doing? Tomato, huh. I know. Listen, listen, let me change your mind about this, okay? <laughs> this tomato sauce, a lot of it... So so we got to back up a little bit. We talked about US, USDA food. So a lot of our schools are getting items, food items from farmers from America. So something like um, spaghetti sauce and canned tomatoes, canned tomato sauce, canned tomato paste, those are coming directly from our farmers and those are a USDA allocated item. And they have to be low sodium because we're following low sodium regulations. So when you look at the ingredients, like I said, going back to the whole idea of figuring out how much meat is in mm-hmm. the, the, um, sliced turkey or, you know, the cooked meat, it's the same with vegetables. So when you look at the canned tomato sauce that we are serving, it is literally cooked down tomatoes with some seasoning and very little sodium. And so we know as dietitians that 
when you cook down tomatoes, you get extra nutrients like lycopene. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we are counting those as vegetables because they are healthy. And I think there's a lot of myth, you know, there's, there's so much information out there that it gets so confusing. And I think school nutrition has really brought me to truly understand a lot about nutrition because we say pizza instead of pizza, let's have a sandwich, but it's the same thing. Right. Right. And so, and so when you're looking at the breakdown of a pizza, we are required to serve whole grain rich, um, crust. So that's whole grain crust. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies have gotten very creative on making that crust taste good. So they're putting seasonings in them. Some of them are even putting a little bit of cheese in there from America's dairy farmers. And, you know, they put cheese on top and that is real cheese. We are serving real cheese. Even our American cheese is real cheese. It's not fake cheese. We can't mm-hmm. serve the, the, the fake, you know, fake foods that aren't from, from real uh, commodities. And so, mm-hmm. and so it, it, it gets complicated, but we're using a whole grain crust. We're using tomatoes from America's farmers as the sauce. And we're using cheese from America's dairy farmers. And then whatever meat goes on top of that or vegetables, we put a lot of vegetables on there too, mm-hmm. um, goes on top of, unless it's elementary, elementary, it's hard to get them to eat. <laughs> you know, it just depends on what they're, what they're eating. Except they love yeah. your green sauce. I want you to tell the story of the green sauce because they love that. But anyway, continue. We'll get back okay. to that. So, um, so yeah, they, um, you know, we start them off with a little bit of, of cheese pizza, and then we do a lot of taste tests with them to try to get them Mm -hmm. to try new foods. That's a great joy in my life. I mean, I've gotten elementary kids to try Brussels sprouts and love them and just think they're awesome. And then go home and ask their parents for Brussels sprouts. And the kids, the parents are calling the school saying, my child is asking for Brussels sprouts. What are you really feeding them? You know? (laughs) And it's like, we're feeding them Brussels sprouts. So let's, you know, let us tell you how to to roast them and make them taste delicious. Um, So, so yes, we are counting the vegetable on the pizza as a vegetable as we should be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's such a funny, it's such a funny thing, you know, to complain about what's like, like, what do you, what do you think it is? You know, it's like, I've heard parents say that kind of thing. It's like, what do you think tomato, like pizza sauce is like, it's not like some wildly weird processed monster laboratory food. It's tomatoes. <laughs> like it's tomatoes, <laughs> tomato it sauce. This is weird. what it right. is. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's like, you know, if you look like a hamburger, it's like, it's bread and meat and vegetables. What's the problem? Because you put it together, now it's an issue, you know? Yeah. So thank you for that explanation. I think that will help some people maybe calm down yes. about yes. pizza in schools. <laughs> We're all about calming people down on That's this podcast right. if we can. That's right. Unless it's me um, getting worked up, but yeah. <laughs> Well, and we, we're only halfway through this podcast. You Michael, never know. So there's always time. There's always time for Michael to get on a soapbox. Um, okay. Let's just go back real quick to the food service employee, the people who are feeding our children in schools and doing this really demanding job of, you know, cooking and preparing these meals that have to meet these specific regulations every freaking school day, all year long. Let's talk about like, what's the qualifications demographics we are seeing in school nutrition personnel? At a kitchen level, oftentimes the demographic, it, it ranges depending on where you're at. And so if you're, you are a, an urban school or a rural area school, you're probably going to look very different. And, um, at a high level, at the district level, the director does need to have qualifications, educa- education, a degree, and um, experience in school nutrition. But when we get to the rural area schools, they don't always have the option. So there are waivers around that and ways around that. And so having um, experience in working in the kitchen is is really what they're looking for. And in sometimes in the rural area school districts, and we've talked about this, Erin, the, the director will be the director, they'll be the menu writer, they'll be the recipe standardizer, they will be the cook, 
they'll be the bus driver. They'll be the oh administrative yeah. assistant at the school front probably office. The, probably the softball coach. Like they're All doing the everything. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's complicated. It's very, it's a very complicated job. And I think a lot of school administrators don't understand how complicated school nutrition is until yeah. it's really brought to their attention as long as the community, as well as the community. And so I always encourage parents to, you know, if you don't like the way your school is feeding meals, maybe put in some volunteer hours because they could really use some help I love cutting that. up carrots or right. sweet potatoes or something like that. Because what it's looking like right now with school uh, labor shortages is that they have to feed 100, 200, 300 kids with maybe one person or two people. And so you have to think about, okay, we have to plan these menus. We have to standardize these recipes. And usually it's, it's a cycle menu. And then we have been dealing with some food shortages. So our substitutions, obviously, we have to really think that through to make sure we're we're in line with the guidelines. And then this person is cooking the, the food, making sure that it's standardized as it's, they're cooking it, and then they have to serve it. And then they clean up and start, start all over again the next day. So it, it's a lot. They are required to have professional standards. So they have to have a certain number of hours, depending on whatever their position is, um, per year that they have to submit. Um, and when schools get audited, that is that is reviewed and they have to have those um, professional standards, the trainings, and there are specific things that they have to make sure that they get every year. So civil rights and, and different things like that, they, ha they have to have you know, within those hours that are required, but obviously there's, there's a lot of other areas of training that they need, even culinary skills, because like my mom, I'm, I'm second generation, um, child nutrition. My mom was a, a lunch lady because she wanted to be with her kids during school. And that's a lot of what we're seeing in, in school nutrition is moms who want to be on the same schedule as, as their kids. And that, you know, that was my mom when we were in elementary school. And so it's, we, we see a lot of that. We are also seeing a lot of chefs coming into our industry because we're not working nights. We're not working weekends. We often have offer benefits. We get to feed kids. I mean, how awesome is that? Um, and, and so there's a lot of meaning around it and chefs can come in and if they're open-minded and kind and, and not, you know, going in saying, I'm going to change this. <laughs> because and... chefs have a reputation. Don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they need to be humble and truly understand what everyone's been, been working with and, and all the, the complication around school nutrition. Um, they can be very successful in helping to turn around some of those, those, um, meals that are being served that are prepackaged, but it really, I mean, it takes a village. It, it does. It takes a lot of people to, to get through the process yeah, to wow. make sure that our kids have healthy meals. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, whether they're serving those prepackaged meals or scratch cooking, the research, the data is showing that kids who eat school lunch do have lower BMIs. They have lower weight and they are, they are less food insecure. Um, and, and it's, it's the, the data is there. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's research on like being able to concentrate better in school too, right? And that might be specific to food insecure families that this child would otherwise not have breakfast because, and, and let's just stop there and clarify that school meals are more than just school lunch. Right. There's right. way more that goes into it. There's breakfast, there's the summer meal programs, there's, I think there's even some snack programs and things and like backpacks for kids that have snacks that go home to, right? And so I yes. think there's a lot that goes into that, that we need to acknowledge that these programs are helping our children thrive in other areas because they're getting fed right. when they wouldn't otherwise have that food. Right. And probably also preventing a lot of them from being malnourished or underfed. Right. I mean, I, would, I don't know if there's like data on that, but man, I would think so. You know, I mean, I grew up in, um, in a little small town in Oregon, uh, where very high poverty rate. And a lot of those kids, that's, that was their food for the day. You know, they ate breakfast and lunch and that's what they got, you know? Yes. Um, and, and so it's, I mean, what is more important than like keeping children, <laughs> 
alive and healthy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's I, it, such a critical role that it plays in, in just the, uh, the health of children for sure. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's so much information going around that, but I want to tell you something really important. Tell a story. Um, this is really important to understand because one of my pet peeves is that we think about only low-income students gaining benefits from school meals because we have many stories of students who are not low-income who are malnourished and are not getting meals at home. So I just heard this story about six months ago, and this is not an unheard of story. So a child who was come came, comes from a very wealthy family was coming to school every day. And when he was late for school, he was struggling. He was very upset. He would just, you know, just have a horrible day for the rest of the day. And everyone thought he just loved school lunch. And so it was, you know, that's why he was so upset when he was late. And so finally the teacher was like, you know, this is not right. And then the school nutrition professional stepped in and said, you know, this child is coming to the cafeteria, extremely upset that they didn't get breakfast. Something is wrong. And we are required. We're a school nutrition. We are, we are in the school district where we are required to report it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, this child comes from money. We, we don't need to report anything. Right. But that's not true. So the teacher and the school nutrition professional got involved and there was some investigation that this child's parents were going on vacations, long vacations and not filling the house with food. And so mm. he was not getting meals. And, um, mm. you know, I, the, this is, this is a problem. And, and so it is our responsibility. If we are going to give students education for free, we're going to bust them for free. It's in the hierarchy of needs that we must eat. And oh, if they yes. are not getting a meal, first and foremost, the education doesn't matter because they are not paying attention. They can't pay attention. Right. We all know what it feels like to be hungry. Mm -hmm. And, and so it is important that we are looking at all children and we are responsible for feeding all children. And that is a big, big topic right now, because some States are just saying across the board, you know, we're going to feed all kids for free. And there are some States that say, no, it's the parent's responsibility, but we're failing. And so yeah. it, it's, it's our responsibility to feed. Yeah. Them it highlights the bigger picture of what is the, what is a community for anyway? Yeah. Like if we adopt that community mindset, like you said, you know, we're providing education for free. We're, you know, providing other enrichment activities, whether it's sports or, you know, after school programs or volunteer opportunities for these kids and, and encouraging them to be part of the community. Why would the community not take responsibility for the whole health of the child and including their nutrition. And so I think that's a, that's an excellent point. Gosh, you said that so well. Thank you. You get a gold star. Mm. <laughs> gold star. Yeah. Well, Brenda's gotten gold stars like, for, for many years in my Just book. <laughs> another one on the wall, right? <laughs> uh, wow. Can you tell us about like some, like just some common misconceptions around, um, school lunches or breakfast, just feeding children in those environments. Um, maybe some complaints that you, you hear often that just aren't accurate. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Let, let me think about, okay. So I think some common misconceptions are that first of all, I think about our high school students where school lunch is just not cool. And right. And so that's hard because we have to figure out how to be trendy so that they're not running to the gas station to get nachos when the nachos at the gas station is who knows what, what the nutrients looks like. And when we're serving nachos, it's whole grain corn chips. It's real cheese sauce coming from America's farmers again. And, you know, we typically have salad bars or condiment bars where the student can put fresh jalapenos or, you know, green onions or something like that. 
to add nutrients to, to their nachos. And so I think that, that really comes full circle because we have parents who get upset to say, why are you serving nachos on our school lunch meal on our school menu? And the big picture is, is that we are competing with the restaurants and the gas, a lot of gas stations, (laughs) Um, right? Yeah, you know, and we are working really hard to try to get our students to eat in our cafeteria because we know that our food is healthier. And so there's a lot of work to be done around that. We do want to eat, you know, we do want to put quinoa and, you know, we, we do serve a lot of brown rice and, and a lot of fruits and vegetables, but our audience, our, our kids don't always want to eat that. When we put that on our menu, that, that is not, they're not going to select that. Right. Um, they're going to go to the gas station. And so we have to get very, very creative when it comes to dealing with a mis, just the misinformation of what it is that we're trying to do with the kids, with the parents, with the media, with, you know, all yeah. the people that we're competing with. So, yeah. so I think that that probably I would say is one of the biggest struggles that we have. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. interesting about that is, I mean, I'm just pulling this out of my butt, but I'm real sure that a lot of those parents who come like, why are you serving nachos are grabbing McDonald's and frozen burrito. Like if you're not like doing like only like fruits and vegetables and lean protein for your kid, hundred percent of the time, if sometimes you're doing like nachos and talk, then what are you complaining about the school doing it for? <laughs> like, you know, like that just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, unless, unless you are a hundred percent avoiding, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with those foods at all, but if, if you're going to complain about them, then you better not be serving them in your own home. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee they are because yeah. that's just what happens, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, maybe there's a small handful that aren't and they do get very frustrated with us. And I understand, I do understand that, but we have to look at our whole, our, you know, all the, the school as a whole and Mm -hmm. all of the students that are attending from elementary to high school. And, and I just think I work after starting in school nutrition, I work very hard that before I complain about something, I better have all the information because, um, there usually there, there's a lot of information that I don't understand. And, and then if I'm going to complain, what am I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. So if you are going to complain about school lunch, you better be in school lunch and you better be volunteering some time and truly understanding what it's all about. Um, I have parents who complain to me a lot and, um, talk, you know, Aaron and I, Aaron's hasn't complained, but Aaron and I have had a lot of conversations Mm -hmm. around, you know, we've have fellow dietitians who will, will complain and it's, they just don't understand. And I always say, go to a school and really see what limitations they have. And if you want them to serve more fresh fruits and vegetables, or even fresh, even fruits and vegetables, I think canned fruits and vegetables are are just as great, but you have to have a way to preserve food. But if you are going to complain, how are you going to help your school do better? Mm -hmm. Because they're clearly understaffed or not able to support or supply though the items that you want. So you could help, you could get in and help. Oh my gosh. I love it. I just heard the mic drop. I think I heard the mic drop. Did you hear the mic drop? Yeah, I heard it. Um, I also want to just point out as we're having kind of this discussion of like, you know, parents that would not choose to feed their kids chicken nuggets, for example, or something that might appear on a school um, meal menu waffles with sausage or whatever. Like there are families that would choose not to feed that to their children. And I, and this kind of goes into like, well, how, what are you teaching your children about food? If you are Mm -hmm. being very restrictive on the foods that they are allowed to try or allowed to eat. And might it be a pretty sound message 
to allow your children to choose from a variety of foods and to explore foods. Because I'll tell you what, and you're talking about like teenagers, they're not going to select the quinoa on the line, you know, that's on the menu. They're going to go get like pizza or nachos or something else. It's only nutrition if it's eaten. So I've said that on this podcast before. And isn't it beneficial for children to explore all foods, especially those highly palatable foods, maybe foods that you're like, oh my gosh, I get parents that are so worried about sugar. I know you just mentioned like that will be a nutrient of focus on like the upcoming regulations, but we are designed as human beings to like sugar. I mean, that's just like, that's our physiology. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, if you're so concerned about what school lunch is providing because it's not what you would choose for your children, maybe re-examine, like how healthy is that approach in terms of allowing your children to, you know, explore a variety of foods. And Mm -hmm. let's just be honest that a school, if they're only eating school lunch and they ate school lunch every day of the work of the week, that's like five of somewhere around 21 meals in the week that they're getting from school lunch. And so if you're that concerned about it, like, and it's a fraction of what they're eating, I just think anyway, what do those other 16 meals look like? Let's yeah. Let's look at those too. (laughs) I think that's huge. I mean, I think what the both of you have said, it really goes together because you know, first of all, yes, parents, first, first of all, as parents, as adults, we put too much pressure on ourselves. You know, you, you were saying, um, before the podcast that you've talked about parents putting all this pressure on how to feed your kids. Right. Right. So you might be saying, I think it usually goes like this. The first child eats perfect. And then parents have another <laughs> child and they're so they're busy. Like, Who's got time for this? Yeah. <laughs> Who's got time for this? Right your school nutrition professionals are there for you to help you. You don't have to get up and prepare a meal and then prepare lunch when your student could be eating healthy meals. If the data is showing that the students eat healthier meals at school than at home, then give it a try. Let them, like you said, try the sausage that's Mm. been pro you know, produced and processed by America's farmers. And Mm -hmm. it has to have a certain amount of nutrients for it to even be available in schools. And yes, let them try it. If they don't like it, then, then yeah, maybe you'll, you'll need to make a meal or, you know, Aaron, you know, this, my, my boys are in college now, but when they were in high school, they were playing all the sports. And so they would eat breakfast before they left the house And then they would go to school and eat breakfast again. And um, then they would eat lunch. And then I would have to send them with a snack. So I can't imagine having to have prepared all of that food for them for the whole day. There's just no way. And and so um, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And we think that school meals aren't healthy, but they are. So take the pressure off yourself, parents and send your stu- your kids to school to eat school lunch and school breakfast, especially school breakfast. Oh my gosh, because there, we have to have breakfast or we can't pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Hunger is a, a real distraction, <laughs> you know? It totally it, is. Oh yeah. yeah, when you're really hungry, it's like, I can't think about anything else. <laughs> like every, my whole mind is right in my stomach. <laughs> you know, um, Brenda, I want to hear the story about the green sauce and r- tell me if you're not picking up the story that I am mentioning, but you were, you go out to schools and you wear, I love this. You wear your chef's hat and the kids think you're just like this amazing celebrity because you have like a real chef's hat and like your coat and everything. Like you look the part, like you are passionate about you want to make an impression on these kids and you want to make it fun and you want them to engage. And I think you made like some cilantro sauce or something like to go on tacos or something like that. And someone told you like, oh, the kids aren't going to eat that. It's green or whatever. And then the kids kept coming up to you and asking for more of the green sauce. Did I get that story right? Yes. Yes. I know what you're talking about now. I actually, um, I have a couple of stories like that for lunch and breakfast uh, where I made some items with a green sauce. So, so the first experience is the one that I've, t- I told you about. So we, we made some pulled pork tacos and I made this cilantro 
a sauce to go on top of it. And, you know, even the school nutrition professionals will sometimes get stuck in a rut and they'll say, our kids are not going to eat that. And so I always say to them, you have to, every year you have to try new things because their palates are evolving. They're on social mm -hmm. media. They're seeing all these foods. So we have to give them the opportunity to try these new foods. And so we made some tacos, pulled pork tacos, and um, I've made this green sauce and just nobody thought they would eat the sauce. And they, they took, so we put the sauce in little containers on the side and then more kids were coming back asking for more sauce. They wanted more sauce. They wanted the sauce on other items. They loved it so much. And so we have to keep, we just have to keep trying new things, you know, real quick. I have to tell this other story. because This is my favorite story. When I first started in school nutrition, I was testing out some fish tacos and I was with the state agency person. He and I have become really good friends um, since then, but I knew he had some culinary skills and we went to the school to test these fish tacos. And I said, do your kids like raw onions? And they said, oh, absolutely not. There's no way they will eat raw onions. This was a K through 12 school. And I said, are you sure? Because if they like onions, my friend here is going to be in the back chopping up onions like crazy. And he's going to be crying through the whole thing because, you know, that's what we do when we chop mm -hmm. onions. No, 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 no. We, our kids will not eat them. So the kids, so they said, chop up two, you'll be fine. So we chopped up two onions, we put them on the condiment bar, and then the kindergartners went through and the container was empty. So I think it's part, yeah. So then my friend, poor Ed was in the back chopping up onions for the rest of the, the hour lunch period, getting the kids through with onions. So I think that talking about, I call it my, my costume dressing up in my, my chef uniform gives the kids an experience. And I tell school nutrition professionals, you've got to give them an experience. They love that experience. You have to play the part, wear the chef coat, yeah. let them know that something really special is about to happen. But also it gives them this idea that I'm trying something new and this, this person has prepared something wonderful for me. I'm going to give it a try. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm so glad you said that because I'm, I'm really big on, you know, just in my coaching in general, just like our relationship with food and how we, you know, our perceptions of it. And especially in children, like having two kids, two girls, you know, I'm trying really hard to like, how do I at least give them a better start with their relationship to food than I had? You know, what are the things that I'm saying that I'm, you know, unconsciously, subconsciously, you know, conveying messages that aren't healthy, all that kind of stuff. And, and two things jumped out to me of, of something that school, things that school lunch provides, and that's choice and exposure. And I think a lot of times kids don't have a choice. Here's what you eat. Here's what's on your plate. Now eat it. If you don't want to be hungry, then eat it. There's no choice there. It's just kind of shoved upon them. Not a good way to try something new. Whereas you're talking about the onions, they're probably like, I don't know what that is. I'll let me see if I like it. I don't need to know what it is to know if I like it or not. But if you say, oh, it's onions, they might be like, mm -mm, no, thanks. And then the exposure is like, you know, I mean, when kids come into contact, like you mentioned Brussels sprouts, if they've seen them in line, you know, five or six times, they're probably a lot more likely to be like, eh, okay, I mean, I'll give it a shot, I guess. And let's see if I like it. And so I think just having those two things baked into kind of the school, you know, breakfast, lunch experience is so critical to help developing a really um, a healthy relationship with food and a willingness to try stuff out and be curious with it. Right. Cause I think it's easy for kids. Like I like chicken nuggets and captain crunch and French fries. And that's all I want to eat, you know? And, <laughs> and so just to have like the autonomy for them to be like, what do I want to eat? And just that repeated exposure to things that they maybe haven't tried before. Um, it seems super critical to their development of a, just a healthy relationship with, with food. Yeah. I, I love what you just said, Michael, that is huge. And that is what we strive to do every single day is provide them with choices because yeah. the data shows that if we give them choices, they will try it. And since 2010, you know, there was so much media on the kids are throwing it away. They're throwing it away. We're not doing our, our kids you know, any good because they're just throwing it in the trash. Mm -hmm. And now our staff is saying, we can't keep up with the production. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're out training them on how to use their knives and how to use the, 
the food processor so that they can chop up enough cucumbers or onions or, you know, um, squash, all, all of the foods because the kids are eating them. And we still have districts that the schools, the kids aren't eating them and the, and the schools are still trying. But I would say overall in America, we've done a really good job. And it just shows that when you continue to give kids a choice over and over and over again, yeah, some of it goes in the trash, but how much money is that saving when we are spending billions of dollars on healthcare because our in adult, into adulthood, we are suffering from heart disease and diabetes and hypertension and all of these diseases when yeah. we can, you know, going back to when we, when I was talking about prevention, when I got into school nutrition, I started to see, oh my gosh, this is where it's at to teach kids yeah. to eat healthy mm -hmm. food then we are working in prevention. We are giving them choices. And so mm -hmm. you set up beautifully. Thank you so much for saying that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I love, and I also love to your point, Michael, that for that kind of exposure to foods, it's also exposure to like their friends trying it mm -hmm. or the adults around them, the teachers trying yeah. something new and just observing that oh, I can be curious around food and I can explore food in this safe environment where everybody is trying something new. I think that really has an impact too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm thinking about like my oldest daughter. She loves Brussels sprouts, like gets excited when I'm making Brussels sprouts. She's like, oh, we're having Brussels sprouts. <sighs> and you know, like at school lunch. Yeah. If she tried them, her friends are going to see her trying them and be like, do you like those? What are those? Oh, I love these. You know, just those conversations. And, and just to kind of piggyback on what you said, Brenda, I just love the idea that, I mean, I think it's, it's really easy for all of us, but probably for parents to look at a specific meal and be like, what is this? Why are there nachos? Why are they eating pizza? But there's such a bigger picture that's happening. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I think about like how, you know, how big a percentage, I mean, it's not an overwhelming percentage, but lunches and breakfast at school, those happen multiple times during the week. Those are multiple opportunities to expose and give choice and try things out. And it's it's a bigger picture of building that a healthier relationship with food. You can try stuff and not like it, and that's okay. And you can try it again later. You can come back to it. You can ask questions. You can be curious. And just that role, I, I think that's something that's often missing from um, the household you know, yes. is, is, is exposure to new things on a regular basis and a choice. And <laughs> just, this is kind of, I'm just having this realization now, but it's like, man, I, there's probably a lot more happening to help develop a child's healthy relationship with food at school than there is in a lot of homes. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I have to say that we have a program called Offer Versus Serve, and this is really important for parents to understand because we are required for in our in our school lunch, for example, to offer a meat or meat alternate, a grain, a fruit, a vegetable, and a milk. But if they if the school opts in for Offer Versus Serve, it allows the student to only have to take three of the components of the five that I just mentioned. And so you have, have parents who will say, oh, my kid only got, you know, pizza and an apple and a milk. They are required to take at least a half a cup of fruit or vegetable. So they have to have the three components. And one of those components has to be at least a half cup of fruit or vegetable. So they could have a pizza, um, which is usually the meat and the grain and a milk, but they would still have to take an apple or something, you know, some zucchini or, or make a salad or whatever on the salad bar. Um, but, you know, you'll see parents will get pictures from their students, their, their kids who will say, I, I didn't get very much for lunch. And what they need to be asking their kid is, if you were hungry, why didn't you take all the components? Because mm -hmm. you can have a full cup or three-fourths cup of vegetable and um, depending on the grade levels, they, they, you know, honestly, they're, they're going to give them as many fruits and vegetables, you know, as mm -hmm. they want. And then, especially if they have a salad bar and, and then, you know, they have, they have all the components. And so it's really important that that parents understand that. Yeah, yeah that is, that's an important point, I think. And I think it kind of goes back to, you know, a lot of parents default to blaming the school for not providing certain foods or, or whatever, but really like, we also need to like, look at 
like you said, find out all the information. Yeah, ask some yeah. questions, talk with your school food service, you know, providers, whoever's in charge of it, the director, you know, talk with the teachers and actually see what's going on and then figure out the right questions to ask. Um, I'm curious, Brenda, just as we wrap up here, cause we want to be respectful of your time. You've given, oh my gosh, you've given us so much information yes, today. I just great. love this conversation. I am really curious if you have like some directions you wish school nutrition would go in opportunities for growth improvement. I mean, everything can be improved, right? But you have this very unique inside perspective of it. So tell us what, you know, if you could change anything about it or improve it, what would you do? I think, I think we're a little bit overregulated and I think that is complicated. It is complicated things, um, for, especially as a, as a chef, I would love if we had some more flexibility in flavor. I, I think we've gone a little bit too low in the sodium, but that's just not going to change. If I could change that, I would, I would change the sodium levels. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing, if I could have my number one thing I would change is the principals and administrators supporting what we do. We have a lot of pushback, mm -hmm. not all principals and administrators, um, teachers, they don't all, some of us embrace us. They support us. They're in it to win it. But when a principal comes to us and says, I don't want a salad bar in my school, it's too messy. That's oh, wow. a problem. And it happens a lot. Um, what? so we really need to, as in parents, we really need to embrace the concept of what child nutrition is doing. Yeah. And we need to understand that what they are doing is just as important, if not more important than what our teachers are doing, because you, you, just like Michael said, we're creating an environment mm -hmm. where children are learning about food and, and we're helping set their, their, um, their health, really um, the food choices that they make for the rest of their lives. And so if I could change anything, it would be to change the perception of the support that we're not getting. I think we need yeah. that support. It is, it is imperative that they, that they really embrace what it is that we're doing. That's a why uh, that it's too messy. That's such a, it's a cafeteria with children. Like <laughs> that place is a mess, right? Like after lunch, that's all yeah. it is. It's a, like extra tomatoes if you're not stepping on food much. on the floor when you leave, like it, <laughs> it wasn't a successful meal. Right. Wow. And I yeah. think, I think that's another, like just a good take home point for our listeners is just to be a little more involved and be the advocate yeah. for these kinds of programs and understand that, you know, the nutrition that's provided at school is more than just, you know, these, you know, throwing food together and putting it on a tray or whatever, and like driving the kids through, like there's so much more that goes into it. And if you can be an advocate for those programs and I mean, how many principals or, or teachers get questions about like school lunch or school meals mm -hmm. at those, you know, occasional meetings or meet and greets or anything. So maybe see if you can move the needle and get involved and advocate a little stronger. I love it. Yes. Yes. And, and parents getting involved, um, with helping them support the school nutrition program, because there's so many different ways there there's breakfast in the classroom. There's the salad bars, there's a fresh fruit and vegetable program. There are all these wonderful programs that I think if they just ask, help me better understand what it is that you're trying to do and where you need help, they could help. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I love it. That's great. Oh man. We could keep going. Brenda, this was fantastic. You're fantastic. I, well, I love you dearly, but I just love what you're doing for our kids and our schools. And yeah, I have to say we, so Brenda and I started playing pickleball together last year. We haven't played this year, which we need to, we need to fix that. But, um, I remember a specific, uh, evening where we were playing pickleball with your husband <laughs> Dave goes, I was, you were like stressed about something. And he goes, she's literally trying to feed the world, <laughs> literally trying to feed the world. And I was like, yeah, actually like that's yeah. not an exaggeration. So, yeah. um, do we want to do meaning in the mundane? Let's do quick? it. Yeah. You ready? Cool. You want me to go? Brenda, we'll, we can let you go last if you want. It's not okay. On the spot. Yeah. If Give you, you need some to time think to about think. something. 
So mine was um, probably a couple weeks ago. I think I've mentioned on the pod before that I have this running route that I do from my house that goes kind of along the green belt. And I just love it. It's like a standard loop. It's, you know, pretty easy. I can crank it out on a work break or something. And I was running along the path by the river and I'm like taking pictures of the flowers because the flowers change as the season goes. And I just was like, God, you know, I'm so lucky to have access to this, um, right from my front door and just enjoying it and feeling like just that beautiful morning air. And I came around the corner on this river path and there was this whole section of the green belt that had been burned. Mm. And I don't know how the fire started. I don't know. I remember a friend texting me and saying like, Hey, did you hear about the fire on the green belt? And I, I thought it was in a different location, but I just came around the corner and you could still smell it. And it just looked like this, Mm. you know, everything is charred. It's Brown. So like I went from this moment of like, appreciation of the flowers and how green it is and the everything. And it kind of just made me take pause and be like, whoa, I need to make sure I'm grateful for these things because you come around a corner and it could be gone. And so for me, that was, it's a little more of a reverse of the meaning in the mundane, but I think it just reinforced like, this is why I find this practice so helpful is to just really feel grateful for those things because you never know how long they're going to be around. Yep. Love it. Love it. Take, take, uh, have gratitude for things while you can. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me just last night. Um, uh, so my family's out of town for a few days and I was thinking about dinner. I was like, I'm just going to go grab a burger or something, or I don't know, get a burrito from somewhere, keep it easy. And I was sitting in the living room, thinking, where do I want to go? And I, and I just thought to myself, you know what? Like, I love to cook, like cooking dinner in the evening is one of my favorite parts of the day. And I was like, why wouldn't I do that for myself? You know, when it's just me. So I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make dinner. I'm going to put on music. And I did that. And, you know, I just made myself dinner. I was dancing in the kitchen, having a beer, just having a great time as I, you know, as I made myself dinner. And, uh, yeah, it was just this nice little moment of cooking for me and no distractions. I could have whatever music on I wanted as loud as I wanted. Uh, and it was a nice little, you know, time in the kitchen making myself dinner. Yeah, that's fun. I, I like that. that. It was real fun. <laughs> I call that a Julia Child's moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to have as many of those as I can. Like yeah. for me, cooking dinner with music and like, you know, a glass of wine or a beer or something is just like the best. The yes. best. Yeah. That's nice. Yes. Yeah. And Aaron, I did see that burn spot on the green belt. That was, yeah, it was a little, um, yeah. Heart, heart dropping for, for a yeah. minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a bummer. You know, I just have to give a lot of gratitude towards my husband. I, um, might get a little emotional about our 10 year wedding anniversary is on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, wow. yes. And I've been tra- traveling all over the U S and he is so supportive of me getting to live my dream to feed the world and I don't know emotional don't make Um, me get emotional either but (laughs) when I come home and he wraps his arms around me and just is appreciative I'm thankful yeah oh that's great that's great we don't get many tears on the pod (laughs) and so here we are people yeah oh that's beautiful and he and yeah your husband is a yeah, he's, he's a, a solid guy. gold person. Yes, yeah, thank you. So, thank you. I'm sorry to get emotional. I just, no. you know, I think no. it's really important that that when we are living our passion and our dreams, that having someone who really doesn't understand what we're doing out there in the world, mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, <laughs> I start talking about meat, meat alternates mm-hmm. and grains and he trade. I mean, he's an insurance. <laughs> he's like, I, I'm trying to grasp it, but it's so complicated. Um, I don't get it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just his support and just um, his phone calls and his, just him embracing the fact that I get to do all the things that mm-hmm. I do. And I'm not always here. I'm not yeah. always a woman and able to do you know, the wife things, it's just nice to have those moments. Yeah. Mm. Support is a powerful thing. It's huge. You know, it when is. someone just really, truly supports you, whew, mm-hmm. that's no small yeah. thing. That's yeah, beautiful. They put their Thank own you. needs aside so that mm-hmm. you, you know, can 
yeah help others is 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 very powerful yeah so thank and, you for letting and me when know. they yeah <laughs> thank Absolutely. you I mean, exhausted from all the travel but oh gosh but, and, um, i mean yeah. for so somebody to for somebody to see you like to really see you yeah. that's a powerful thing too and i mm-hmm. think this is just a really important reminder for all of us to you know who we get our heads down and we grind away and we like focus on the task ahead and we're just like driving it like take a moment to be grateful for yeah those people who see you and support you and and allow you to be yeah. able to do those yeah. things yeah awesome yeah. Thank you so much, Brenda. This has been a really good conversation. I think, I mean, just for me, there's been a lot of things that I just never even thought of. I'm like, oh yeah, of course. You know, so um, yeah, I think there's a lot for um, parents in particular, but just any of our listeners to really take away from this uh, about the importance of, you know, breakfast, lunches in our schools. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Keep doing your amazing work. We love it. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you for, for, for letting me have the conversation. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Bye.